You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We've been going through a series, actually we opened a new series called The Gospel Demonstrated. And the whole series is actually on the book of James. And this coming six weeks, actually another four weeks, we'll be, we'll be talking about uh, the book of James. And the underlying theme about this series is about Christianity being lived out. Amen. Uh, how do we actually practice our Christianity? We all know that in the past series, we've understood about our salvation. You're born again. You have Christ with you. But how do you live out this new life in Christ? And that's what this series is all about. And James actually uh, puts in all his um, thoughts, his mind, his heart about really practicing our Christianity. So last week, we started out the, our first uh, leg of the series about uh, the testing of our faith. How many of you were here? And we've talked about basically counting it all joy that we, when, we, when we meet different trials of various kinds, right? And, you know, it is a testing of our faith. How many of you like to be tested? Nobody likes it, right? Nobody likes trials. Many of us don't like trials. In fact, some of us view trials as curses, right? Right? Even the Old Testament days is quite interesting because for them, they, when they look at trials, that could only mean that um, you are in sin. That's how actually our Old Testament folks understood about trials. If you are going through trial, then that means you have sinned. If you remember Job, right? The story of Job. Well, Job actually did not sin against God, but God allowed the trials and the testings to happen to Job. And what happened is that his friends said, you know, why don't you just confess your sin so that make it right with God so that God can bless you. So in other words, the concept and idea of trials was really a curse. But the reality is it's not about that. That's why James had to address Christians. Okay, that you will meet trials. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when you will actually meet these trials. We all will go through that. Amen. And uh, we need to have a different perspective about trials. In fact, Dr. David Bauer, he said that trials are actually neutral. It's how we respond to trials that will spell the difference, right? So if you are, if you are negative about it, you'll probably be tempted to sin, because you'll be tempted to say, God, I cannot, I cannot, you know, because of the severe trial, I cannot walk this Christianity. How many of you actually experienced that? Just me, All right? But, you know, the, the, truth, the truth was, you know, when I was young in the Lord, we had major trials. We had financial trials. And, and I tell you, I burst into, you know, frustration. I got mad. I got angry with my wife. That's the whole truth. That's the humanity in all of us. But understand that trials has a purpose. The purpose of that is really to build out this faith that we have, to grow us, to mature us, and that is what God is working. So how we respond to trials can be negative, or you can actually be positive. Positive in the sense that you will trust God that He is still at work in your life. Amen. Now, our main point last week is this, that faith that is tested actually demonstrates the gospel in us. It actually reveals what kind of faith we have when we go through trials, right? And the gospel inevitably is being demonstrated in our life when we go through trials. When people see that you have, you know, passed through trials, you have, you have gone through that trial and they, they still see the joy of the Lord and you have not cursed God, they say, wow, what is that, right? It is being demonstrated. The gospel that is working in all of us can be seen how we respond to trials. Today, we'll talk about true religion, okay? So let's all stand and open your Bibles to James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. So let's read starting from verse 19 all together now. One, two, three. Know this, my beloved brothers... Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word 
which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you this evening and ask that you will send your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation to be with us. Lord, open our spiritual eyes and our minds. Make it clear, Lord God, the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a, an American novelist. Um, he's a biographer. He had written about over 150 books, including romance novels, mysteries, children's adventures, and so on and so forth. He's um, actually best known as the co-author of the Left Behind series. You all know this Left Behind Right? Did you watch that? Yeah, all right. Maybe some of you did. But if you've read this book, he's the co-author. In fact, uh, I think they were ranked uh, top 10, number 9 in the, uh, Amazon. So anyway, he said something that was actually profound. And this quote actually changed uh, a, lot of, a lot of ideas, a lot of um, opinions about Christianity in fact, it opened my eyes when I was a young Christian. And I don't know if you've heard it, but I want to share to you what Jerry Jenkins said. He says that Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with God through Christ. How many of you actually heard this, that it's not about religion. It's about a relationship, right? How many have heard this? Come on. And you know, I, I, I actually, when, when I, and I heard this, it actually opened my eyes. I was, I was, I was celebrating. I, there was this, this jubilation that came into me. And finally, I said, I understood about this Christianity. It's not really about religion. Why? Because I, I, if you were like uh, in the other church before, okay, uh, many of us were in the other church, and we, we actually viewed Christianity as a religion, Right? In other words, you had, you had to go through this bunch of uh, rules, regulations, there was uh, ceremonies, there was rituals of some sort, right? You all know, you know what I'm talking about, right? And I grew up in that, in fact, I grew up in that school and church. And that's the whole idea. And each time I, I mess up, each time I don't, you know, I don't measure up to the rules and regulation of that church, I felt so guilty and I felt so condemned. And they made me do a lot of things. Uh, there's penance, there's confession, there's penance, and all of these things. And, and somehow it frustrated me. How many of you felt that way? I mean, Christianity, I mean, church, it frustrates me because it was a bunch of religion. So when I got saved, when I heard about the gospel, and when I heard about this relationship through Jesus Christ, it's not a religion. Right? Amen. Praise God, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. But here's the question. Why is it then that James, who happens to be the half-brother of Jesus Christ, and who happens to be what Paul describes as a pillar of the early church, why did he talk about religion and not relationship? In fact, the last verse, we've read that. Religion, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled, meaning the true religion, he says, before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I mean, why didn't he say, you know, uh, it's about relationship that is pure and undefiled? Why, why did he say, what, what's wrong? What, what's with religion? 
is there such a thing as true religion? And if there is true religion, is there such a thing as false religion, right? Of course, we know there's false religion. If you're attending this church, if you're a Christian today, everything is false, right? Right? As, as is true. Right? But here's the thing. What has religion have to do with the gospel? I mean, can it do anything? Can religion do something about the gospel? What was going on in the early church when James wrote this epistle? And that's the thing we want to find out in this preaching. The best answer is we want to go back to where we left off last week. Okay, last week we were in verse 18. And let me read to you, um, coming from the NIV, it says there that He chose what? To give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. See, God in His sovereign will chose to give us this new birth. What are we talking about? The new birth in Christ. Remember, there's a scripture that says the old is gone and the new has come in Christ, right? In other words, when you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're no longer the old you, a sinner, but you have been bought by the price, you've been forgiven, and you have this new life. And, and James was saying that it is through the word of truth so that we might be a kind of new creation that will bring something. Bring honor and glory to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, remember this. If anyone now is in Christ, again what it says, we are the new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Interestingly, the New Living Translation says it this way. It says, He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word. And we, out of all creation, became His prized possession in other words god chose us saved us gave us his son right gave us this salvation the gospel for the purpose that we might become a showcase to the whole universe that we are his prized possession right did you ever have a prized possession huh especially the the you know i have a i have a prized possession okay I, I collect match, matchbox when I was young. Not anymore. But I have it. I still have it. And every time, every time we had a chance in the house, okay, if you're visiting my house, um, I have a way of saying, you know what? I've got this matchbox collection. Dating back in 1968, 69, the 70s, the 80s. You know what I'm talking about, right? If you were born my age. Why? Because it was my prized possession, right? Now, if you are a, a parent, how many parents do we have here? All right. You all know that every year, someone graduates in the family. You all know this. And if it's not graduation day, it's called moving up day. Recently, recently, my youngest daughter actually, for the first time, moving up day from grade three now, she's going grade four, she gets an award. First time. So what do we do? Boy, I tell you, I, I grab my camera. Oh, well, it's a phone already. It's not a camera. But it's phone. It's the bus, selfie, selfie. And then what do you do? You post it, right? You say, you know, my, my daughter I graduated with awards. How many of you feel that way when you're, when you're a parent, right? You are proud, right? And you see, that's how our God, our Father, is proud of us. That's how He wants to make you understand that when you receive His Son, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He becomes now proud of you because you have turned away from all your sin and followed Jesus Christ, right? So now we become His prized possession. That's the story. And how did He do it? By giving us His true Word, right? The Word. And interestingly, John, the Apostle John, says that in the beginning, y'all know this, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, Bible says, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. 
And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And this word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. This is the true word. You see, when we receive Jesus Christ, the true word, God now says, because you did that, you're my prized possession. Get it? So we're coming from this verse. And I want you to really, really put on pause. Okay, if you have a, you know, if it's the mind, pause. <laughs> put pause on the word, the true word. And then what happened was, James says, he says in verse 19, in our main scripture tonight, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, what happened there? <laughs> Here's James saying that you're a prized possession of God. You know, he's happy, he's proud of you because you have his son, right? And then what happened? Suddenly he says, well, know this, everybody. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why did James all of a sudden change the tone of his writing from being the showcase of God to all creation to sort of like correcting and rebuking the church. Now, you need to understand that uh, this was the early church. If you remember, he was writing to the tribes, the 12 tribes that were dispersed, meaning the Jewish Christians. They're not talking about you and me. We are Gentiles. Everybody say, I'm a Gentile. That's who we are. But it was, he was addressing now this Jewish community of Christians and he was addressing something that was so totally different from what he was saying in verse 18. Why was that? What went wrong? When God allowed trials, problems, adversities uh, to come our way, to perfect us, we all know this. Remember that we have a choice, right? We have a choice to respond negatively or positively. But God graciously gives and provides us in our times of trials. That's the reality. It produces perfection in all of us, right? You all know this. Not, the, the only thing is that not all people pass the test. In fact, James was saying about people who are tempted, you cannot say that God is tempting you, right? Because when we face severe trials, chances are you might say, God, I hate this trial. I don't like it. I became born again. I've accepted you as my Lord and Savior. Then why is it that I am not being blessed? I'm having this trial. So remember, they're Jewish, right? To the Jewish mindset, they were thinking, uh, Jews think this way. If you have trials, you are cursed, right? Meaning you are in sin. But if you are blessed, that means you are doing something right. So these people now, are going through tough times and not all of them are passing the test. In other words, not all of them is being perfected. Some are actually tempted to be angry. Some are tempted to, you know, go back and, and blame God. But if you were to respond right, James says, if you remember last week, he says, if you are to respond right, all you need to do is pray and ask wisdom. You all know this, right? If you are going through tough times, and the best way to do it is pray and ask for wisdom. And God will give it abundantly, remember, without finding any fault. But he says, know this. Before anything happens to you, before you do anything as a born-again Christian today, you've got to know this. Remember the word, right? James is saying, beloved, because, uh, because now you're facing trials, remember, beloved. In other words, he's saying, remember that you are loved by God. You're going through tough times, and you are giving up, and you are having all these trials, and you are actually in the brink of saying, I gave up my faith. And saying, know this, my beloved brothers. God, he was referring to God's loving them. 
in the midst of their trials. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear what? Be quick to hear the Word of God. We used to get this um, scripture and talk about communication skills, right? We, we talk about this, you know, you have to have, uh, you know, the Bible says be quick to hear and slow to speak. That's right, okay? But the context of this is that James was saying, you're going through tough times, know that God loves you. That's why you have to be quick to hear what the Word of God is saying. Before you ever give up on your, on your trials, before you say, God, I'm throwing in the towel. No, no, no. Be quick to hear the Word of God and be slow to speak. Why? Because trials, severe trials, can actually make you frustrated. And the thing is, you can vent it out and you could say the wrong thing. Amen. In fact, it says there, not just slow in speech, but it says slow to what? Anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Remember, he was saying, remember who your God is. He reminds them. So he goes back. Remember in the Old Testament days, this is who our God is. In Psalm chapter 86, verse 15, it says, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. In other words, he's saying, don't forget who our God is. He is slow to anger. He is a compassionate God. He is gracious, abounding in love, and He is faithful. At this time, clearly, the early church now had major issues. Because it's difficult when you go through trials, right? And the brethren actually wouldn't understand you. So they were complaining. There were complaints about this and complaints about that. There were actually now major issues relationally because they were going through adversities. It was getting the best of them. It's quite interesting that some people learn that anger can get your way. Right? Have you seen a child in the mall and, and the parent, you know, no matter what he, he does, then, you know, the child will just pour out the tantrums. You know what I'm talking about? And then the parents is pulling out. So what does the parent do? You know how anger is. It's very manipulative. And that's what, that's what James is saying. Sometimes people could use their situation. Be angry. Because they're going through tough times. They're going through trials. They're angry. Blaming God. So they can get what they want. But James says, be slow to anger. It does not bring about the righteousness of God. And somehow, it's something all of us actually are dealing with, right? Diba? Kung di pa ako nagalit, di mo gagawin, God. Remember that? Tampo ka Lord, diba? Remember how you how you feel bad and say, Lord, yo ko na sa'yo. Then suddenly, because God is so faithful, He gives it to you anyway. Boy, think about issues, right? And that's pretty much what's happening even in the church, in the early church. And it's even happening even today, right? It happens to all of us. There were also, you know, adversities that was happening. If you go back in the first uh, few verses of chapter 1, remember this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. In other words, James was saying, you know, there has to be an understanding, a perspective that we all are equal, but they were having some problems. The rich and the poor, they were in church. And there were squabbles happening. At some point, actually, they were fighting uh, who will get the rich. You know, I, I choose this guy because he, lo- he looks rich. I don't like that guy. So it's very, you know... Uh, ugly, yeah. It's not nice. Not nice to see. So James is saying, 
what happens when, when trials come, temptation comes, it brings birth to sin and it brings birth to death. That's what James is saying. That's why he says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Why? Because anger, right? Tempted to get mad. What happens? There's filthy, filthy talk that will happen. Rampant wickedness can happen. But yet, he says, receive with meekness. Everybody say meekness. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And James says, receive with meekness, what? The implanted word which is able to save your souls. We have two choices as Christians. Either we surrender our evil fleshly desires, which lead to death, or we surrender to the implanted word living in all of us. Remember the word? I said pause the word, right? The word that became flesh that dwelt among us is Jesus here. But we're also talking about the, the word, the Bible. We have received this word. If not for this word, you'll not know Jesus Christ, right? I mean, 2,000 years later, we have the Bible. Praise God. That's why we have it here. But we need to receive it in such a way that we are humble enough, meek enough to say, God, I surrender to what this word is saying to me. The issue, the issue that the early church faced was that they were not able to handle the trials. They were tempted. They sinned. They did evil talk. They were angry. Why? Because it was about me, myself, and I. What about me? Realize that when, when we go through tough times, what is really seen is what's inside of us. Do we see the God who has saved us, or do we see ourselves still looking at that? You can actually ask and pray for God's wisdom, and He'll give it abundantly. How many of you know that? But if we are still filled with pride and selfishness, God's Word will not take effect if we're still filled with ourselves, if you think you're still right. Truth. In verse 22, it says, James says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, merely listening to God's word on a Sunday like this, or in your victory group, how many attends our victory group? Okay. If you're attending a victory group, a Bible study group, whatever that may be, if you're reading the word, okay, mere listening, mere reading, mere Understanding is not enough. If you're not ready to apply it, it will change nothing. And the early church actually was suffering from a disease called spiritual pride. In a sense, they were Jewish Christians who knew exactly that they are the chosen people of God. Right? And then they understand fully well, that it is Jesus Christ, right? So you're looking at Jews of the Jews who are Christians now. They have the Old Testament and the New Testament, living out the New Testament. So there was spiritual pride in them. And, and James had to address this kind of attitude. You see, we can read, we can study and meditate on God's Word all our lives and become great scholars and theologians, but if we are not doers of the word, we actually deceive ourselves. Our Lord Jesus says this. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like, what? A wise man who built his house on the rock. You all know this. He told a parable, right? And what happened to the one who built his house on solid rock? The storm came, right? And did not wash away. But the one who built on sandy foundation, what happened? It was swept up. The foolish builder. See, James was referring to us when we talk about God's word, it's about applying it. it. Jesus was saying, if you are wise enough, you would apply my word. 
That's why it says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, what happens? He's like a foolish man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. Do you ever wake up in the morning and you, you see your natural face? Dot makeup for the ladies, for the men, it's the same thing, right? Interestingly, James uses this analogy about the mirror that the Word of God is like a mirror. Why? Because it shows who you are. The Word of God reveals what is inside our hearts. In fact, it, re- it exposes our thoughts. It exposes our motives. It ex- really exposes what is inside of us. Amen. And that's a reality. Almost every day, how many of you use mirrors? Every day. We do, right? And when you go to the mirror in the morning, hopefully you look at yourself, right? And after taking a bath, you need the mirror to brush your hair, dry your hair. For the ladies, I don't know how you do it. Well, my wife will, you know, dry her hair, get the... And then do the makeup before she goes. You do something because you want to fix yourself, right? Right? And see, as a mirror, the Word of God can only reflect and reveal who you are, but ultimately, it is the person in the mirror who has the power to change what the mirror had already revealed. Right? Amen. Nobody can do it for you. We love, how many of you love the Word of God? That's all of us, right? You love God's Word, but unless you do something about the Word, the implanted Word in us, there will be no change. Unless we are willing to apply God's Word, there will be no change. Unless we are humble enough to accept that what the Word of God is saying for you to change, right? It will have no effect in our lives. That's why James says, for this kind of a person, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. And sometimes we're like that, right? After looking at the mirror in the morning, right? And then you rush out, you already forgot how you look like. Right? That's the analogy. There are some Christians, really, not you, okay? Because you're different. But there are some Christians who come Sunday after Sunday and hear God's Word, quote scriptures, and post them in Facebook, which is, you know, not, not, not that it's wrong. They understand it, but they fail to apply it. Forget it right away. Why? Maybe because not all Christians are fully committed about this Christianity. They're not ready to give up some of the things that they enjoy in life. For example, anger, right? How many of you have given up your anger? It's all part of humanity. But in your anger, do not sin. That's what the Bible says. Let's continue. James chapter 1, verse 25 says, But the only one who looks what into the perfect law the law of liberty, and and perseveres. Everybody say perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You know, in some translations, the one who looks into the perfect law or the one who looks down or stoops down in a humble state. This is kind of like that. You know, you're like, it's hard to demonstrate, but it's kind of like you're, you're face down on the floor. That means you humble yourself and you surrender to the perfect law of God, meaning God's Word. The Bible says that He will be blessed in His doing. It's crazy how all of us, actually, not you, not you, definitely not you. It's crazy, but all around the world, they actually look for self-help books so that they can be blessed. You know what I'm saying? Right? I mean, have, have you ever, you know, the, the 10 steps to success or something like that, you know, six ways to 
blah, 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 to be a millionaire, something like that. Not understanding that if you have the Word of God, and if you apply the Word of God, what happens? You become blessed. That's what it is. You know, I, I used to be, before, before I got saved, okay, don't judge me. I used to be stone cold, heartless in relationships. Nah, okay. Especially when you cross, you know, you, you cross the line. You, you actually hurt my feelings. And if you hurt my feelings, I'd say, I'm not going to talk to you ever. And I did that to my sister, actually. I, I kept, you know, cold treatment happened for days, then weeks, then months. And finally, she got fed up. She had to smack me right in the face. What's wrong with you? But I was cold. But when I got saved, the very first topic that I attended, okay, this is Bible study, okay, that I didn't want to attend to. I don't know if I actually said that before, but I think I did. I shared this with you, right? Not yet. All right, but if you have, just agree with me. I, I got so, you know, I was angry at a person who happens to be my, my, good, my good friend, okay? We, sorry, we, we sort of like hurt each other and I didn't want to talk to him. And the first topic that I ever attended my first time in a Bible study group, guess what's the topic? forgiveness yeah you said it right and and i said this is hard you know i you know i'm i'm the type of person that would keep the offense i'm the type of person that hold the grudge and i'll be bitter and i you know and i got saved and the word of god the implanted word of god the perfect law of god commands me to forgive which is the hardest thing to do. How many of you have been offended before? And that's the hardest thing you do. Forgive. Right? And maybe, in fact, probably some of you are, are going through that situation, right? And, uh, and, and, and I tell you, the thing that kept me from this, from this perfect law that brings liberty. That's what it says, right? The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. I was just actually this close if I had obeyed the word of God, right? But I did. The thing that I didn't want to do was the very thing that liberated me. Because the word of God says, forgive. I tell you, I have never been, I have never felt the blessing of being able to forgive my enemies. I have forgiven my dad who has hurt me before, I have forgiven because the Word of God is so perfect that if I persevere to releasing and applying the Word of God, I will be blessed. Amen. Let's give God a big hand for that. Which brings us back to the question, what is actually true religion, right? Right? Maybe you're asking, a pastor, where's the true religion there? Right, we're getting there. Verse 26 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is what? It's worthless. You see, religion is not bad. It's not what we think it was. It lacks the why we're doing it, right? But religion, if you think about religion, it's about our devotion, it's about our worship to a loving God. That's about it. Everyone has a religion. There is a God. The, the Islam has, that's another religion. Buddhism, Hinduism. But us, our religion is our devotion to our God. How many of you agree with that? Right? The early church was pretty much... Have you know having these relational issues? There were now offenses, they were getting angry at each other. In fact, the following chapters you will find out okay, in, in chapter three, you'll find out that there were quarrels, there were squabbles among them, okay, because of what they were going through. And James says, if anyone thinks he is religious, because understand that a Jew is a religious person. 
prior to Christ, everything was done ceremonially, right? Ceremonially, they did everything by the book to the letter, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. They did it to the letter. The Pharisees did that. So they were like religious Jewish Christians. But they had a problem, relational problem. And it goes back again to their anger. It goes back again to not taming their tongue. How many of you know that if you are not careful with your tongue, it can actually bring danger to your life? You know, James says it's like a small rudder in a big ship. It brings you to your course. That tiny tongue that can spark a fire. Gossip in church brings division. Are you still here? And you see, if we are not careful, James was saying, if you think you're religious and you don't know how to tame your tongue, well, your religion is worthless. Call yourself a Jew, call yourself a Christian, but you cannot tame your tongue. Your religion is worthless. That's what James is saying. You see, true religion is having that self-control. You got to be controlled in every manner and aspect. Why? Because the world is looking at all of us. The world is looking to us, Christians. They're waiting that we will stumble and fall anytime, any moment. Now, if you are truly devoted to God, if we're saying we have this religion, we're truly devoted to God, then we must tame our tongue. We must have self-control. You see, as Christians, spiritual pride can come. It is easy to have, okay, to use our Bible knowledge, okay, and our understanding of scriptures. You could be actually the theologian to point out the mistakes of other people. James says, tame your tongue. Bridle your tongue. Many times we look, we have this religious mindset and say, I'm uh, holy, you're not. You know what I'm talking about? See, we tend to look down at the world and look at them and say, that's a sinner. You know, the Bible says, if you understand the Sogi bill, have you, have you know, gender equality bill, right? I mean, I, I saw him there. They were, we were praying, we were praying, but different religions came in. We had, we had our Islam brothers came here, our Muslim brothers came here, and it was just, sabe, sa Quran. I mean, he, was, he was really angry. There has to be marriage between man and woman. And what happens is that because of our spiritual prowess, our spiritual pride, everything, we know everything, we think that the Bible is good, we have a tendency not to tame our tongue. And we, begin, we can actually criticize the LGBT community. No wonder why we don't win them to Christ. No wonder why they say, I don't like that Christian church. It does not accept me. James says, we need, if you, if you want a you know, re- religion that is worthwhile, then you have to have self-control. Tame your tongue. Yes, you know the scripture. Yes, you know the truth. But you don't want to lose a soul. Amen. Are you listening? Amen. So James continues about this talk about true religion. He says that religion that is pure and undefiled, again, true religion, before God the Father is this, to visit what? Orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, orphans and widows during their days, okay, biblical times, they were helpless people. If you are orphan and you don't have a, a father anymore, chances are you'll be sold as a slave. And as a slave, you don't have any rights. They were hopeless and helpless. Widows, the same thing. They were sold to slavery. And what James is saying is that true religion, which is my point number two, cares for people in their suffering. It says, visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction, in their suffering. You know, interestingly, actually, if you look at the word, the Greek word for it, I won't say it, but the Greek word for widows are actually those who are 
really um, poorest of the poor. It can mean even a city. It can mean a community. And James is really saying, if you want true religion, then it should care for people, especially those who are suffering. What good is it when, when we call ourselves Christian, but we could not even be like Christ? Understand that James, James was the brother of Jesus Christ, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. You all know this, right? And big brother, when he was growing up, he was seeing the gospel being demonstrated by his brother. Remember that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, right? He healed the sick. He fed the poor. What did he say? He fed the hungry. <laughs> but that's who our, our God is. That's who Jesus Christ is. And if we are called Christians, do we actually do what Christ does or did for us? It's important to understand true religion. It cares for people. Why? Because God cares for all of us. God loves the world, right? God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. He loves every human being. If you claim to have religion, if you claim that we are devoted to Christ, then it should show in how we would demonstrate this gospel. It's not just about preaching the gospel. Sometimes all they need is to, to see the gospel demonstrated to them. You know what happened in Marawi? You all know our Marawi Muslim brothers, right? Marawi was supposed to be a city that is, ought to be 100% Muslims. They didn't like Christianity there. When the war came, when this, this Maute group came, it devastated them. Who were the first ones who were there? was the Christians. One of our Christian soldiers, he's, he's uh, a colonel, if I'm not mistaken, he actually did this. He just went there and brought our relief goods. We actually helped, by the way. We all brought there. And you see, the fact that all of us cared for Marawi, it opened the doors for the gospel. Because that's the first gospel they will see when it is demonstrated to them. Amen. Let's give God a big hand. <laughs> Lastly is this. True religion actually keeps us away from loving the world. Religion that is pure and undefiled, James says, before God. Of course, we know, visiting the orphans and widows. And then he says, to keep oneself unstained from the world. The Apostle John puts it this way. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of what? The love of the Father is not in him. You see, when we receive the gospel, we ultimately receive the love of God. When we receive our salvation, it is the love of God. You need to understand this. But if you are going to still love the world and the things of this world, all the material things, the, the, the pleasures of this world, John says the love of the Father is not in him. Jesus says that what, for what profits a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul. Interesting, right? True religion keeps us away from loving the world to loving our God. And I want to quote as I end something from um, God Questions. I love this um, article. It says, True religion does have rules and rituals, but there's a crucial difference. He says, In true religion, the rules and rituals are observed out of what? Gratitude for the salvation God has provided, not in an effort to obtain that salvation. When we tame our tongue, when we care for the ones who are suffering, when we demonstrate the gospel, it is because of our gratitude 
in thankfulness because we ourselves will receive the love of God. Why not give the love of God by demonstrating it? Amen? Now, as I end, actually, if there's true religion, there is false religion, right? So, from the same, from the same article, it says, false religion is doing things, rules and, regu- uh, rules and rituals, in order to earn God's favor. True religion is receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and thereby having a right relationship with God and then doing things out of love for God and the desire to grow closer to Him. In other words, main point is this. True religion demonstrates the gospel. Can you just uh, lay your hands in your heart this evening? Lord, Lord, because we have received love, because we have received this gospel, this good news, this wonderful, gracious love, Lord, I pray that you will move our hearts to demonstrate this gospel. We may not be in a depressed area, but wherever we are, we can demonstrate the gospel. We can help the needy who are suffering in whatever situation they're in. Lord, I pray that you will give us a compassion for the lost people, that you will give us this this heart for the lost. Move our hearts, Lord God. Turn it to your heart. May we see it from your eyes, the people around us. May we not be spiritually proud that we know more of the gospel, more of the Bible. But in every way, Lord God, may we demonstrate what the Bible is saying. Lord, I pray for every person who's here, Lord God. And I pray that you release your grace upon them, your strength and your wisdom. Lord, I even pray that you'll pour out the power and anointing, not just to preach the gospel, but to demonstrate it with all their heart, mind, and soul so that they may win people to your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray.